sustainable investing is getting real traction with a record inflow in 2020 and 2021. However, with ESG becoming more and more of a hygiene factor, investor demand is shifting to include positive sustainable outcomes and impact as well. According to Cambridge and Partners, a third of the institutional investors plan to allocate more assets to the sustainable development goals, as defined by the United Nations. This raises the questions on how impact through these SDGs is measured and whether impact investing and financial results can be combined. That is something I will discuss with today's guest, Pauline Grange. Pauline is Portfolio Manager at Columbia Threadneedle Investments. She manages the Global Sustainable Outcome Strategy, which aims to combine financial results and sustainable outcomes. After discussing the main factors that are influencing the rapid growth in ESG investing, we'll talk about how to combine financial targets and the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. Pauline, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, Pauline, before we start our conversation, uh, it would be nice to get to know you a bit better. Maybe you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. So I'm one of the senior portfolio managers here at Columbia Threadneedle, and I work on the global equity desk um, where we run long only uh, strategies, very much focused more on sort of the, the quality growth um, style. And just over, I think it's now coming up to sort of three years ago, um, I started developing and working on a, um, a global sustainable outcomes strategy, uh, which we incubated and, um, you know, so been running that for two years um, and it's now in sort of launch mode. And so, yeah, I think, you know, obviously my interest and knowledge around sustainable investing and ESG-based investing has really been where a lot of my focus has been in recent years. Right. And and it's such a hot topic too, right? Definitely. Uh, according to data from, from Bloomberg Intelligence, ESG will grow into a segment of over $50 trillion assets management. What, Pauline, are the main drivers behind this growth? I think the key drivers is really dual-pronged. Um, so it's a combination of where client to invest demand is growing, as well as where regulation is shifting. So on the regulation side, you're seeing that particularly in Europe around, so for example, the upcoming EU taxonomy, um, where, you know, the, the European uh, regulators trying to direct more capital towards those more sustainable activities um, and investing in sort of how Europe as a whole can achieve its net zero carbon transition. Um, and then on the client demand side, you know, you're really seeing for many investors, I'd say particularly younger generations, they're no longer just measuring their investment success from a very sort of traditional return risk approach, but now also looking at their investments in terms of what is the impact as a whole on the environment and society. So I, I guess it's really what is the true cost of generating financial returns for them. And they don't want that true cost to be negative for the planet that they're really going to grow older in. Um, so, and I think the COVID crisis we've seen, if anything, it's accelerated um, both the regulatory side as well as the consumer demand side. 
Right. Uh, you recently wrote about COVID-19 in, in a blog, uh, and you said that COVID-19 highlighted several problems. Uh, what are these problems and, and why are they relevant for investors? I think if I just focus on sort of three of them, so the environmental side, it really highlighted the fragility of, of the earth and the world's populations. And, you know, co if, co if a virus can do this, to the world, what can, uh, you know, what can climate change do? Um, and we even saw last year, you know, further acceleration in natural disasters from the wildfires in Australia to California, very intense hurricane season in the US, etc. And so what you saw last year was a rise and globalization of net zero policies around the world. Um, I think the biggest surprise was the introduction of a net zero target, climate transition target from China. Um, and then we had Biden, President Biden elected in the US. So you promptly saw United States re-enter the Paris Climate Accord, mm -hmm. having just left it. Right. Um, and then are introducing or wanting to introduce these these net zero targets. So as we stand today, you know, about 70% of the world's global emissions um, are now being covered by net zero pledges. Um You, I think it's also shifted also the focus in terms of, well, you know, the impact that we as humans are having on the, the planet from a sort of biodiversity perspective. So we no longer, before I think we operated in a little bit of a bubble and now we're seeing, well, actually there are real world implications like the, 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 the diseases coming from animals to humans, COVID being a highlight. Exactly. We can't keep encroaching on nature like this. Hmm. So I think circularity of resources, that's now rising up the agenda. We, we need to be more um, sensitive in terms of, you know, our, our consumption of the nature's resources and what the implications of that is. Then I guess on the social side, what COVID really did is highlight inequality globally. You know, we saw that People who were in the in the lower paying sectors were hardest hit um, and were more subject to being closed. So hospitality or the you know the retail sector, whilst the collective wealth of billionaires, I mean in the US, for example, the 651 billionaires there saw their wealth jump north of a trillion dollars last year. Whilst I mean, millions of people around multiples of millions of people around the world lost their jobs or income. And then the divergence between societies or countries. So poorer countries couldn't afford, afford fiscal stimulus schemes. They're also behind on vaccine rollouts, etc. So that dispersion is increasing. And then at the corporate level, there was really an increased focus on the S in the ESG. So how a company treated their suppliers, their employees during the, 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 the pandemic, how did they protect their employees, their, their, their customers, that came under increase. And then also their programs around diversity inclusion with the rise of the Black Lives Matters movement. Um, you know, all of this really has grown in importance in the last year. Um, And so we're really seeing how can capitalism shift to becoming more inclusive, but also greener. And then on the healthcare side, I suppose this one big theme is just COVID really highlighted not just the importance of strong healthcare systems, as well as innovation in healthcare, but also the health of populations. Um, 
you know, global populations need to become healthier. We need to tackle obesity. Um, it's not just about rolling out vaccines. It's making sure our immune systems are stronger. And so here in the UK, Boris Johnson was very anti any obesity um, regulation. He thought it was sort of nanny, you know, becoming a nanny state. And mm -hmm, he's completely mm -hmm. U-turned on that now. And he's introducing regulations that and, and sort of policies to try and make the UK population healthier. And you've seen that in a few countries. So these are just some of the big, I guess, sustainable themes that we're seeing there. Yeah. Pauline, to your point earlier, the E and the S of ESG are interconnected. Can you explain to us the connection between the two, specifically from an impact perspective? Yeah, so if you look at, you know, I think if we're going, what we need to make sure if we are going to have a green revolution as such, is we need to make it more inclusive than I think we saw with the tech revolution. You know, the tech revolution, which is basically what we've seen in the last few decades, Um, and although it's obviously had some great outcomes, we're all, we're all using some, you know, virtual um, meetings here, the cloud, etc. It's also left a few people behind and it's created um, and perhaps, you know, a bit of a squeeze in terms of social inequality where those in the, you know, there was a shortage of, say, some of the high tech related jobs, um, Whilst a number of other industries, for example, the retail, physical retail sector, you saw job losses there. And so there's also been a rise in inequality during this revolution. So we need to make sure that if we are going to achieve the environmental, we also need to know what the social implications are to not exacerbate the situation there. And so for this, I think, you know, governments, if we are going to transition to, say, green power, We need to start, governments need to start now retraining um, and investing in those people who are, say, in fossil fuel industries so that they can move to these greener new industries and not be left behind. Um, and so from that perspective, addressing an, uh, social inequality needs to be part of these green agendas. Um, and it's really... It's as much about, if we look at post-COVID, it's as much about having a social recovery and a job recovery as it is about a green energy transition. Right. Um, Pauline, let's, let's talk a bit more about your strategy, the Global Sustainable Outcomes uh, Strategy. Uh, you cover eight themes in your strategy. They are related uh, to the SDGs and they combine both uh, impact and financial returns. Uh, can you talk us through and also explain to us why you choose these eight themes specifically? In 2015, the United Nations, as I'm sure many of you are aware, established these sustainable development goals. And it's really a, it was really a framework uh, for governments and private uh, investors to um, to invest for positive change. So to direct investment for both environmental and social um, social change. And but these development goals were really established a bit more with public enterprises in mind. So they're not always easy to invest according to. So what we developed at Columbia Threadneedle are our eight sustainable themes, which myself as a portfolio manager, I can very easily relate to, but they do incorporate these sustainable development goals um, and they cover both social and environmental goals um, and they draw on these the underlying targets of the sustainable development goals 
And each of these themes uh, will map to a primary sustainable development goals, but they can also incorporate multiple goals. So, for example, we have a health, well-being and food security theme, and that incorporates the Good Health and Wellbeing SDG, but also the Zero Hunger SDG. So it's really about encompassing all of these social and environmental targets which were established by the United Nations with 2030 in mind. <laughs> clear, clear. Uh, now, a lot of ESG-related strategies uh, target the same big, large-cap names. Um, how do you prevent investing at a premium? So firstly, I think, you know, a business which has best-in-class ESG credentials and is really delivering on these sustainable outcomes deserves to trade at a premium versus a company which is sort of misaligned with some of these sustainable themes and and as well as having poor ESG credentials. Um, this is because, you know, the, the risks will be larger and also the growth opportunities will be smaller for these companies on the wrong side of some of these themes. But, you know, keep where we're fortunate with being global is we don't have to invest in the very expensive, you know, if we believe that the valuation is not really representative of the long-term opportunities for this business, we won't invest. We are, you know, valuation is a key part of our investment process. And we have so many other opportunities globally, we don't have to. Um, but saying that there are, you know, there are certain companies which are just great and you will see them in multiple funds. And you can say the same for traditional sort of uh, growth funds, for example, which all hold big tech. Yeah. You know, they all hold Alphabet, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, etc. And yet these shares all continue to perform well because they grow into their valuations. So I don't think, you know, just because a lot of strategies may own the same names doesn't mean that they're not good investments. No, but would you then say that stock market listed companies are the best place to invest also to make an impact? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I think private equity and venture capital, you know, all these other investment strategies definitely have a role. I think their role perhaps is funding some of the innovation out there. But where we as public investors really have an important role to play is engaging for change. You know, a, the outsized impact is going to be from pressuring big corporates to shift towards more environmentally positive and socially positive policies. And that's where we believe we can have the biggest outcome. Um, for example, if you can pressure, I mean, we in this strategy don't invest in oil and gas, but if you are invested in oil and gas and you're a big investor, you can pile pressure on them to shift their investment from fossil fuels to renewables and in do so and there's almost a double whammy in impact exactly yeah yeah then you really create the impact thanks so much for for clarifying all of that feline i'm already at the end of my uh, podcast thank you for your time and for your insights thank you very much thanks thank you for listening to a podcast about investing with financial results and sustainable impact i would like to thank today's guest Pauline grange for her time and expertise this podcast was offered to you by Columbia Threat Needle Investments. For more podcasts, please visit the Fonts News website, fontsnews.nl forward slash podcast. Important information for use by professional and or qualified investors only, not to be used with or passed on to retail clients. 
past performance is not a guide to future performance. Your capital is at risk. The value of investments and any income is not guaranteed and can go down as well as up and may be affected by exchange rate fluctuations. This means that an investor may not get back the amount invested. This document is not investment, legal, tax or accounting advice. Investors should consult with their own professional advisors for advice on any investment, legal, tax or accounting issues relating to an investment with Colombian Tribunal Investments. The analysis included in this document has been produced by Columbia Tree Needle Investments for its own investment management activities, may have been acted upon prior to publications and is made available here incidentally. Any opinions expressed are made as at the date of publication but are subject to change without notice and should not be seen as investment advice. This document includes forward-looking statements, including projections of future economic and financial conditions. None of Columbia Tree Needle Investments, its directors, officers or employees make any representation, warranty, guarantee or other assurance that any of these forward-looking statements will prove to be accurate. Information obtained from external sources is believed to be reliable, but its accuracy or completeness cannot be guaranteed. Issued by the Treat Needle Management Luxembourg SA, registered with the Registre de Commerce et de Société, Luxembourg, registered number B110242, 44 Rue de Valais, L2661 Luxembourg, Grand Duchy of Luxembourg. Colombian Treat Needle Investment is the global brand name of the Colombian and Treat Needle group of companies. <laughs>